2: telling you bro what's been happening bro uh, not too much still hitting the more peggy old? hi this is shane terrio and you are listening to the riffraff stories and insights from the front line Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I really, really appreciate all the kind words on iTunes and my website. Thanks so much, Uh, definitely. The comments and the reviews help this thing move up the charts. My guest today is Mr. Avi Bortnik, great guitar player, great guy. You know, in a world filled with shredding guitar players, which I love, and, you know, nine-year-old girls playing Eruption on YouTube, It's really refreshing to hear a guitar player like Avi that can make a crowd get up and dance with just a simple but effectively placed part. Although Avi's probably best known for being a crucial member of John Schofield's innovative Uber Jam Band, he's also got his own projects going on. Shitty Shitty Jam Band, which is the greatest title ever, which we're listening to now. And Avi B3. He's got his solo record Clean Slate, which we'll play some things from. And he also designs apps for guitar. One of them is called the Time Guru. And he's also got an Echo Pitch Multi Shifter. I'm going to link to this stuff on my site. But a uh, really innovative player, comes up with great sounds, and we're going to chat about all this stuff. So follow me. I'm in Chinatown, New York City, walking to Avi's building. Show up, plug into a Fender Princeton, and Avi's got his stuff going, and here we go. Hope you enjoy.
1: Rift down, rift down,
2: rift down. Rift you call that chinatown jam
0: yeah that's actually based off a a, a little funk groove from this band that was um from the 70s called the propositions or the prepositions they changed their name but they were like 17 from somewhere in michigan just amazingly funky wow well i want to get into all that
2: let me back up all right i'm sitting in new york city chinatown avi bortnick my guest today yeah man thanks for Having me over to your oh, pad, oh man, my pleasure, nice saying
0: You're not only a great buddy, but just I'm a big, huge fan of your oh, guitar Oh man, playing. please, thank so, you, yeah, man. It's an honor.
2: Well, likewise, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't normally get into um like I don't want to alienate the guitar players on my podcast usually, but I, we don't usually discuss gear and things. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm opposed to it, I just never do it. But you're one yeah. of my few buddies that we text each other pedal pictures. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think my only friend like that, you know. In the, in and the I think I
0: texted you my tiny six-inch pedal board, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. So, so well, I, Sko's got New York's time. Right,
0: yeah. sco sort of inspired that. I had been thinking about that for a long time, but I also had this short, relatively low-budget tour in Canada, and there was no room to bring, a, you know, a, a, a road case with gear. So... I made this tiny little pedal board that had these, you know, miniature pedals on them. And it worked out pretty well. It was fine. It was I think minimalism
2: is the new trend with guitar pedals. But,
0: yeah,
2: yeah actually, Sko had asked me about these. He said, do you ever see these little pedals? And I've never used them, but a friend of mine named Eric Struthers in New Orleans had a connection with him. So he, uh, I guess he hooked up Sko with some stuff. I, yeah. I guess he likes them now. Yeah, yeah. Man, I think that we don't generally have topics. I have a few things, but man, you're all about rhythm guitar, and there's not many people that are as badass rhythm accomplished, known for you know rhythm guitars. Not a lot of cats, man. So maybe we could talk about that. You know, I mean, and I want to hear about your. I don't know anything about your early influences. Yeah.
0: You know. Uh, sure. (laughs) It goes pretty far back at this point. Um, well, I was raised in St. Louis. And, uh, you know, came up in the mid to late 70s, really, is when I started getting serious about guitar. And the area of St. Louis, where I grew up, was pretty integrated, so a lot of the bands were just funk bands, you know, with black kids in them. And that was just kind of the way you played guitar. You played rhythm guitar in this funky way, if you want to call it that. I mean, there was rock, too, but a lot of the influences were just kids I watched, like other people, or grown-ups even, you know, oh, that's the way you play guitar, and that's, you know, and then I would get in these bands where you have to play in that style, so as far as influences, it was kind of all the 70s pop and funk people, Um, Nile Rodgers was a big one, Al McKay and Earth, Wind & Fire, and then kind of i don't know people whose names i didn't really know i knew the tunes and the group but i didn't know who was playing guitar it was just kind of incidental oh yeah it's maybe roger with zap i guess Mm -hmm. um and uh but you know whoever played guitar in cameo and uh charlie something was it ring my bell what was her name you know all those songs just had these like kind of usually kind of just on the top three strings played high that kind of that kind of funk you know it wasn't yeah. really like greasy funk i guess right it's more like um, the guitar had this role in the very top end of, of a lot of the tunes but it was all very um either forward in the mix i mean you could really hear it especially niall rogers stuff yeah man so he was a big influence and and back then everyone thought niall rogers was kind of the best rhythm guitar player or the most i think it partially it was just more prominent in the mix so you could really hear him
2: and it was the records he played on, too, at the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, great
0: tunes and everything. So, But, you know, I took lessons. I mean, most of the time, I, <clears> do, <throat> I don't practice rhythm guitar. And kind of, I've probably spent 10 or 20% of my time practicing rhythm guitar, you know, and uh, timing and chords and all that. The rest of the time, I'm working on the stuff that everyone else is working on, scales and trying right. to solo better and play over changes, you know, with varying degrees of success. But somehow rhythm just always came a little easier. So it, it was kind of, I just knew what that felt like in, in your body and in your arms and your fingers, and that, that was just easy. And then when I moved to California in my late teens, I guess I was 19, after I, I went to UC Berkeley, not, not the music school Berkeley, and I didn't study music. I studied Latin American studies. But soon after graduating, I started playing in a lot of Caribbean and African bands. And there again, it was like all rhythm guitar. So most of the gigs I found myself in, 95% of the time, I'm playing rhythm guitar. And then, the, so probably a lot of that just comes from spending time gigging, playing rhythm rather than working on it at home.
2: Yeah, that's the best way to learn. Yeah so you know i think that's the best way to learn man is on the gig you know real world
0: yeah i think that has advantages and disadvantages that sometimes you don't you're just strengthening things you know a little bit and not pushing yourself i think it has to be or to learning new tricks because you're too afraid that the new idea you have on the gig isn't going to work or something like that. I don't know. It's a mix. There's definitely things that came out of playing gigs. I know, but maybe it's also because, you know, you can't get too fancy playing rhythm guitar. So it's, it's a little bit like being a bass player. You know, you can get all these chops and play a six string and do all kinds of fancy stuff. But in normal music, very few people want to hear that. Mm -hmm. So it, becomes this thing just for bass players and it's a little bit like that with rhythm guitar yeah you can get some crazy stuff going but in an actual tune you don't do that Mm -hmm. now with the sco band sco gives me spotlighty kind of moments where i get to do stuff i wouldn't normally do in a tune it's Mm -hmm. just more like sorry wanking off in a sense just doing busy trickier kind of things that mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't play while other people are playing it's just like i have to fill up the space and do something that seems novel or impressive or sure you know
2: it, you know you know who buzz Featon is
0: i know he's got the tuning system yeah and he's but he was a guitar player but i don't know him
2: he was a great uh, session player in the 70s and yeah. 80s i guess he had feet larson but man there's some stuff with him playing like olivia newton john with like michael Landau. Like mm-hmm. he did a lot of A lot of stuff. But he's a great rhythm guitar player. And I don't really know him personally, but I met him at a NAM show once. And he actually came, he thanked me. He goes, Man, thank you for playing rhythm guitar. Nobody does this anymore. Yeah. And I'm going, I'm just trying to keep my gig. (laughs) It's not a conscious choice.
0: I think part of it is just changes in black music. And and first of all, they're really, if you think about it, there's no black bands like there used to be. Except for maybe the roots, but they've been around for a while. But and that they're culture, sort of retro anyway, yeah, mm, they're yeah, retro anyway, right? But that culture of of bands in the black community doesn't really exist, except for maybe in the gospel world. Mm-hmm. But that was, to me, like the source of rhythm guitar. Sure, there was rock rhythm guitar, but that was a little bit of a different thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you still had to play in the pocket, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like that driving thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, in in your podcast with Jude, you said something that I thought was accurate. You said something like the guitar can be like a tambourine with yeah. notes. well, that's Nashville. <laughs> the
2: acoustic is va- basically a—it's it, an alternate form of uh, you know a shaker. Yeah, it's just sort of there, you know, and so which
0: I don't mind doing. I, if if you're in the pocket and playing the guitar shaker, then it feels good to me. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. Well. Uh, you know there's um and we'll i'm sure we'll weave in and out of rhythm guitar throughout this whole interview but what's another thing about you avi is that let's see you you have a lot of friends from the west coast Mm -hmm. and it seems i don't know all the history about it but it seems like there was some exodus from the bay area at some point yeah because you you ended up in the bay area
0: right i but i ended up in the bay area not of my own volition, it's that my dad got a job transfer. I, w- I spent a year at the University of Wisconsin, and then he got a job transfer we, going from St. Louis to San Francisco, and I was pretty directionless, and it seemed like a really great thing to move to San Francisco. So I took a year off, moved out there with my family, worked in a warehouse, and uh, then applied to UC Berkeley and got in and continued my undergraduate degree. So I'm not from the Bay Area, but I, you're right, I know a lot of the people. And there, it's true, there was kind of an exodus. I think what happened was a couple of things working in tandem. One is that it was a great place to be a musician in the 80s, particularly late 80s through mid-90s. There were a lot of gigs. You could actually just go around playing different clubs and actually make a living. And you didn't have to do many weddings or teach or do it, you know, you could just go from club to club, so it was great, and there were a lot of really good musicians, and it was kind of an instrumental, funky kind of music that was dominating, so it was great for musicians who wanted to solo and and write instrumental tunes, but then that sort of started to dry up. But in the meantime, you had all these guys who were really good, and then, you know, New York was always the mecca for Right. musicians especially mm-hmm. jazz oriented musicians so a lot of them started coming here then you get a few here and then now there's contacts and people you can either stay with initially or play with you know and they would report back yeah it's great we're playing a lot and, and so then you know that it, it, it spirals I didn't really move out here because of that I came out because I started playing with Sko. That's I what have, I, That was yeah. another
2: question. Was it post or pre Uber jam? You moved to New York. Well, oh, that's a good reason to come. It was you know, kind to of, have a
0: gig. It was really kind of the the last year of Uber jam that I moved out. For the first few years, I was uh, commuting back and forth, mm-hmm. so I was mostly living out there. But I was spending a lot of time here, um, which I, probably a little bit like you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I was spending a lot of time here, and then it just made more sense to be here, mm-hmm. both logistically for the traveling, and also I was developing more friends, and it felt like I had more of a community here. And I liked the social scene, and not I liked not driving, not sitting in Bay Area traffic, so it just kind of made sense to mm-hmm. move here.
2: You were craving snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I
0: grew up with snow, so it wasn't... Oh, yeah. Yeah, St. Louis has four seasons. It gets really, really hot in the summer, but it also gets pretty cold in the winter. So, you know, I used to play hockey and ice skate on the ponds and everything.
2: Well, let's let's talk about um, how did you land the gig with Sko? I never asked you that. I, I know it was um, some West Coast connection, I think. Yeah, where...
0: th- Sko had done this record bump in, uh, that came out either in the end of 1999 or early 2000, I forget. And he had played, he had done some guitar overdubs and he was looking for someone to tour do a short tour with who could just play those parts, you know so it was it wasn't like a big feature role for a guitar or anything um, but he wanted someone to and he had never done a two guitar band, I don't think he always had a keyboard player or trio, so I think he thought it'd be an interesting concept to have two guitars, but he got my name he was asking around like do you know someone who plays good rhythm guitar and doesn 't mind not soloing <laughs> <laughs> right you know, and um, so he got my name mostly from Charlie Hunter, mm-hmm. who is someone I knew from the Bay Area. Charlie was already out here, but Charlie knew my playing a little bit and um, and I think he also heard my name from a couple of other sources, Lee Townsend, this producer who
2: didn't he do nor jones or
0: i i don't think he did he Nora produced jones, the bill frazzell record bill with i think he's bill Frizzell's manager maybe to okay that's day what it too. is yeah and uh but he he may have he produced the bump record for sco actually um really nice guy and then sco may have heard my name in a roundabout way through jesse murphy who was her. yeah
2: one. man i love his playing man i jesse, love jesse yeah i oh, love I lo- i'm fantastic. a huge brazilian girls fan i don't oh, me you know, too yeah
0: and jesse's yeah, I can't say enough about his bass playing. It's.
2: Is he playing with you tonight?
0: No, he's not. Um, we still play together, but Jesse lives upstate, so it, it's become yeah. more rare. But Jesse's bass playing is so different and kind of uncliched to me. And Jesse's funny. He's like one of the few guys who will start a groove, and if he starts it on his own, I don't know where one is. <laughs> you know, most people have absorbed all the vocabulary and so you just hear yeah but with jesse it's like what is going on there right, right. but it's so cool and inventive and he's got a great sound and a great guy too
2: well he was another bay area guy that came to
0: yeah he was actually from santa cruz just south of okay. the Bay Area, well, but kind west of west coast yeah but uh kenny wallison this drummer and mm-hmm. uh, man there's so many people out here adam levy Adam Levy. Well, he's back I, in New yeah. LA. Adam Levy kind of moved around. He was, yeah. I think I don't know if he came from Boston. He the was, first time
2: I actually met you was with LA. Adam. Actually, we oh, were really? it, it was in New Orleans, and we were we went to Tips and You were playing with Sko. Oh, okay. And we were backstage. Was, yeah. and I think I got your record or something that yeah. night.
0: great guitar player from the bay area is out here. Um, do you know Liberty? Mm-mm, I don't oh, know. Liberty's great. Yeah, I'd like well, to check really him out. happening? He does a lot of the more avant-garde kind of jazz stuff. Henry Threadgill and Oh, yeah, sure. He's been with him for a long time, but Liberty's he's funky and just rhythmically solid and really just super interesting player.
2: I guess a lot of guitar players would know what's it like to play guitar next to John Schofield, you know, but you, but you're such a strong presence, you you have your own thing going on, if anybody's ever seen Uber Jam, I mean, it's like your whole thing, man, you've got your laptop and those sounds, and it's, it's almost like you're, you're a a very strong voice in that band, it's not like you're just, maybe it started out where you were playing little miscellaneous parts, but it's not the case anymore, yeah, but anyway, what is it Um, like to, with, to play with Sco? you know, I've played with him, but not on stage,
0: yeah, well, I mean, first of all, John's a great guy, as yep. you know. Mm-hmm. He's he's hilarious and um, self-effacing and, of course, just a brilliant pace-setting guitar player. I mean, so, in that sense, well, it's first of all, it's a huge privilege and honor that I get to play with him. But at first, I was really pretty nervous, as you can imagine. Um, and... <laughs> When I was playing parts together with him, we had some you know melodies that we play together. He would watch my hands. I don't even know if he was aware of this, but man, that made me nervous. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think he was just curious how I was fingering things, or maybe trying to play you know in sync with me. But yeah, I didn't. I, I felt like I wanted to have a curtain so he couldn't see me. <laughs> so it made me nervous. But you know, I he was always super supportive and had kind words and also kind of just gave me tons of freedom to do whatever I thought was appropriate on on a few occasions you know he'd steer me in one direction or another or show me chord voicings that maybe he thought would be cool to play while he's soloing or something like that but for the most part he just kind of lets me be and he does that with all musicians in his band I think John likes I don't think he likes to um, tell people how to play or what to play too much. He just likes working with people who bring something that inspires him or that he finds um, cool. And John is also very sensitive to rhythm, so he, he really likes rhythmic kind yeah. of music. you know. Yeah. And um, I love John's rhythm playing too because he plays with his thumb and it's got this cool looseness to it. it it's like it's almost like he's playing with a giant rubber pick or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's Like he hits, hits, a lot of strings at once, but it's, it's kind of clunky, but I don't, I love it. It's, you know,
2: it's backing up to what you said about, it, he just lets you kind of do whatever it's, um, first of all, obviously you trust your instincts cause you're a great player. But I, I find that to be, as I interview people like that are working with quote, you know, mm-hmm. uh, notable or whatever the word is I don't know great musicians that's a common theme a continuous thing that comes up is like well they don't really tell me you know yeah. John Harrington said the same thing Donald Fagan's like yeah they just kind of let me do yeah you know, Daryl and John let me do you know I think yeah. that great artists no, they just hire somebody that they think yeah they trust and they go okay well I hired you for for Avi you know I want yeah. you to put your thing into it
0: yeah, yeah. I, and I and maybe there's an element of they know that the musicians in the band really look up to them and are always maybe slightly nervous, you know, about not screwing up and, 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 and playing well. And they know that if they start telling you stuff too much, then it becomes a downward spiral or you become too self-conscious and then you're not playing and then you're thinking you're sucking the whole time. And So it's, if you've got that sort of power, you don't want to use it in a way that makes people play worse. Right. So.
2: You know, I don't normally do this on on the podcast, but since you've got all your cool pedals set up, maybe yeah. you, is there any I don't know anything you want to demonstrate or um, show me something? New sure. Today? I <laughs> mean,
0: well, this pedal board is the pedal board that I use with the sco Band. It's not what I take around in New York. It's too big. Um, but what it's basically it looks sp- like
2: some kind of blackboard or something. It, where'd Isn't you get it? that yeah where'd you get the board
0: um well first of all uh, this pedal board is kind of two different things it's normal guitar pedals as you can tell there's a bunch of boss pedals on it mm-hmm. um and a wah-wah and all the normal stuff but there's also tucked under here a computer interface
2: oh yeah i see it
0: so what happens is um well two things this thing that you call the blackboard, it's a, uh, Macmillan 12-step, and it's just a MIDI controller. It's kind of like a keyboard, so C, C sharp, D, D sharp, etc. It's one octave. But it just sends MIDI notes. So that's tied in with the laptop. So if I hit one of these MIDI notes, it triggers something in the laptop. It can either be a sound, a beat, a guitar effect, whatever. So this bypass looper kicks in the laptop. Um, in other words, it routes the guitar through the computer interface, through the laptop, and then back out into the amp. So that way I can use laptop-based effects in a live guitar-based setting. Mm. And the cool thing about it is if you're savvy or experimental with laptop sounds, you can get all these things going that you can't find in a pedal. So it goes way beyond... Chorus or distortion or delay. Um, and you can get all these trippy pitch shifting effects and sequence patterns. You can trigger other sounds.
2: Do you yeah. have any of that stuff hooked up right Yeah, now? yeah, I could. Uh, yeah, could you just demonstrate yeah, a few? Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, and I'm also using this. Um, so I'm using two programs on the laptop. One is Ableton Live, which a lot of people know about. Mm. And then the other is this really cool program called MIDI Guitar which is, um, it takes your guitar notes and turns them into MIDI notes, and it's polyphonic, so you don't need a special guitar pickup, MIDI pickup. I see. So you can play synth sounds and other uh, MIDI-based, well, MIDI effects, if you want to trigger MIDI effects with notes, but mostly synth sounds with your whatever guitar is plugged in, so you don't need to switch... You know, this cumbersome MIDI pickup. Oh, mm, yeah, gotcha. It's very yeah. cool. And it tracks really well, too. So I've got two programs running in tandem, like I said MIDI guitar and Ableton Live. And this is a song where there's a beat going, and it's kind of a drum feature. So the drummer is playing over this beat, and I can do this controller here. <laughs> Just is for the laptop, and you know it's, I, I can trigger different effects for the loop. Hmm. But then, if I play guitar, like here's the normal guitar sound. But then,
2: yeah, that sounds great.
0: So that's that's a synth sound that's being kind of chopped up into this rhythmic pattern. So while that's going on, you know, I might be doing something with that, but then I can switch to this sound. So that's, I'm basically playing one note, and this pitch shifter is pitch shifting that note in a pattern. That's not MIDI, that's just a a plug-in. Oh, I see.
1: (laughs)
2: Oh, that's nice.
0: And then I also have it set up so I can loop stuff if I want.
2: Yeah, man, that's great. So
0: that's what I'm talking about where you can use the laptop to make effects that you can't really find in a pedal, sure. at least to my knowledge. Um, and they can be very personal effects rather than, oh, here's my uh, Univibe or my auto wah. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it's funny. I was thinking about it, about guitar effects and how, you know, in the 60s, I guess the novel effect was fuzz, maybe overdrive. Then 70s, it was wah. And then '80s had chorus and delay, and late '90s or early 2000s it was kind of the whammy pedal. But since then, I can't think of any widely used guitar effects. Everyone's using basically the same things. It's and you can see it's. I've got a fuzz, an overdrive, a wah, a reverb, a phase shifter, a chorus, a delay, and then this Eventide H9, which just goes between tremolo or univibe or some sort of setting like that ar- so yeah
2: i think we've arrived at the point as guitar effects it's the same as like a fender Rhodes and a whirly you know it's like classic so everybody's always gonna have a tube screamer or some derivative yeah. or something like that and a wah-wah pedal yeah. and you know i mean it just kind of never goes out of style but you're right i mean nobody's doing anything near what you just demonstrated to my knowledge maybe there are people but there
0: are i think there are some bands like but maybe they're not known as being guitar-centric bands, mm-hmm. but there's people, sometimes maybe people who aren't real super skilled guitar players in a traditional sense, but are inventive with effects. Um, oh, Battles. Ba- uh, those guys might be great guitar players, I don't, I don't know, but if you go hear them live, the guitar stuff they're doing is very heavily affected, but in, a, in very novel ways. Um, I love those guys, they're amazing. Um, so there there is some creative guitar going on, and then uh do you know um um Michael Ross, this guitar Michael player Ross. he writes for guitar players sometimes he's kind of Sounds been on familiar. the guitar magazine scene, but he also has a cool web magazine called Guitar Modern hmm. and he'll feature people who are doing really unusual stuff, so there are people out there, but I don't it, it hasn't gotten absorbed into rock and pop music that a lot of people know it sort of stays on the fringes yeah it's it's an interesting thing to contemplate I mean maybe all the 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 easy things that that are just kind of processing that don't completely mangle the guitar have already been developed and in a sense it's all filter or delay based processing if you think about it right you know so Maybe there's only so much you can do, and everything's a variation on a theme at this point. But, it, the, but the laptop opens up all kinds of possibilities. There's another tune that we do with the Sco Band. It's called I Break for Monster Booty. And, <laughs> and in that, I'm doing this funny thing where a rap going, and it's silent because it's, it, there's a gate in front of it. And the gate is side chained to my guitar. So when I play guitar, you hear the rap. So I can sort of rhythmically chop up the rap. I'll show you what I mean. So this is the normal beat, right? And it's the guitar. But. Um... Oh,
2: yeah. Bobby's right hand is actually triggering those rap lines, so right. when he's strumming you can't see it, but...
0: And then I can do this too. Oops. Oh, sorry, wrong one. Here we go. A funky
2: clap. Yeah.
0: So that's just a clav loop loop that's going, and there's a gate in front of it that's side-chained to the guitar input. So I'm determining when the clav plays in a rhythmic sense, but not in a note sense, if you know what I mean.
2: How did you figure all this stuff out?
0: Um, Well, that was actually, I lifted that idea. I was reading this article about recording a Chic track. Um, I forget which one it is, but it has, I think, a piano or clav solo in it. And I was reading that whoever they had come in sort of wasn't really in the pocket or something. They were trying to play solo. It just wasn't happening. So the engineer said, "Just, just play chords, like just hold a chord down. You know, and switch it every bar or something like that, and then what they did is exactly this: they put a gate in front of. It. Of course, this was all in the analog days, but you could still do the same thing. They put a gate in front of it and side chained the gate to Nile Rodgers' guitar, so Nile Rodgers actually plays the rhythmic portion of what you hear, even though it's a clap. Mm. I thought, wow, that's really cool. I, I could do that with a computer easily. So you know, but that's where I got the idea. And, um, I've spent a long time messing with Ableton Live, um, it's probably 15 years, and you know, you just start learning possibilities, and then also, you, online user forums are really helpful, and yeah. we also had this sound guy for a while, sound guy and road manager, Ben Sermon, who still works with Sco sometimes, but he was really savvy with Live, so, like that pitch, pitching thing, mm-hmm. he actually hit me to this plug-in, the pitch-shifting plug-in that responds to MIDI. So um, he showed me that thing. And uh, so I've, I've picked up different ideas from people. Wow. And then sometimes you just have an idea. It's like, wow, I wonder if uh, maybe I can do the same thing but trigger a drum beat, or maybe I can play a note that'll set off an effect. Yeah, maybe I can. Like, the the pitch-shifting thing is like, wow. I wonder if I could have, play a note, but have it randomly pitch shifted, but stay in a key, like tell it to randomly, (laughs) sort of like random soloing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it sounds random. It doesn't make much sense, but it is in the key. So it's technically all right. And then sometimes it comes up with cool patterns. But that was a little too much, the randomness. Actually, I have it set up so that if I hit one of the buttons on my pedal board, it scrambles it into random, so I can kick it in and out of random. Um, but otherwise, it stays in a pattern in a key. So it always works.
2: Did I ever tell you about this pedal I have called a... Oh, man, I'm, I should look it up. Because it's, it's called a Peftronics or something, random Randomizer. It's supposed to be a super rare pedal. I have one, like Mint Condition... And evidently, they're really hard to find. They're like 800 bucks on reverb.
0: And what what does it do? Scrambles the pitch?
2: Yeah, and it's like sort of a flanger, but it's got this random thing to it. And it had yeah, sounds, I think Vernon Reed bought one and it, mm-hmm. people were looking for them. I, I could never find a use for it. And the whole circuit is like, it's got epoxy over it. So you can't, oh, yeah, and wow. all their capacitors, they're all scratched, yeah, all, no, the, no. all the uh, values. So you can't ever copy it.
0: There's a there's a pedal that kind of does somewhat similar things, but it's not very flexible. I, don't, I think it's only presets, and you can't um, you can't really alter things very much. But it's the Boss Slicer pedal. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. I've used one of those before yeah. on a session. You know, so that'll uh, do these semi arpeggiated kind of, stuttery kind of thing. yeah stuttery yeah. arpeggiated things. So some, of, but the laptop is better if you don't mind having a laptop on stage and an interface, because you can just customize it completely. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, what you're doing, man, is a whole couple, three, four levels up from, yeah. you know, you remember you had that DOD mm-hmm. wah pedal? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Uh, I remember hearing this story about, uh, I've never seen anybody ever use one of those, except my uh, my neighbor when I was going to school in California, <laughs> this German guy had one. It was a DOD wah Yeah, volume. I still have that, yeah. And I remember reading this or seeing this interview with Bill Frizzell where he did this guitar clinic, and all these people were asking him, you know, it, I guess it was in, in Europe somewhere. They're yeah. like, what is the, the, is this, does it have a special pot or why do you use this volume pedal? And yeah, yeah. is it the capacitance? And, and he looked at him real, he's totally confused. And he goes, well, this one fits in my guitar case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> exactly. Yeah. And sometimes. There's no it's, mystery to it.
0: Yeah, it, it's what you get comfortable using. or And sometimes you're just not exposed to anything else. So, like the DOD WA, I think what happened is, you know, I had a crybaby and it seemed like the pot was always crapping out. It's like, screw that. And, you know, this DOD was had an optical thing that just never went bad. So I got it and I just started using it. I don't Mm -hmm. know. And then I got used to kicking it on in the heel position, which I wish more wah manufacturers would make. That makes more sense to me rather than in the ice-picky area Mm -hmm. where you have to start your wah. I do a lot of stuff. It's getting a little old to me, but I do a lot of stuff where I use dotted eighth delays. And just for convenience, I will use a laptop for that. So, like... but if i want i can also pitch it up so it's doing a fourth i think yeah
2: sounds like king crimson or something Yeah, man, that was fun. <laughs> so should kept going. It's like King Crimson or
0: something. Yeah, so. right. So, you know, I've heard other guitar players use that dotted eight thing and that, you know, if you add an extra interval and it all of a sudden becomes something that mm-hmm. someone else hasn't done maybe, mm-hmm. hopefully. I, I have a feeling there's a lot of other people out there who are really experimenting with, Probably so. with laptops totally... and, and iPads and all these things. There aren't really great ways to use it live, you know, because you have to plug in... Your USB cable and your interface, and I wish someone would just make a pedal that was an interface. You know, actually, there is something similar. It's a um, iRig Stomp, where you can use an iPad, but it it has an analog interface that uses or an analog connection that uses the headphone jack of your iPhone, and that tends to be kind of noisy. So it's not really made for anyone who's serious about using it in their rig. Yeah, it's taking it on a European tour. It's kind of a toy. Yeah, it's (laughs) a little bit too much. So I think there's room for hardware for guitar players to be able to use this stuff live in a more convenient way Hmm. without having to connect all these different cables and worry about crashing and all this stuff. Yeah, Um, And that is one of the drawbacks about using a computer. Occasionally weird stuff happens, sometimes inexplicable Something drops out. Something stops. Yeah, I was going to so, ask you:
2: Have you ever had a, like a disastrous moment on stage where, like, you had to start a tune over again, like with Sco yeah, or something? Yeah,
0: one time the sample rate was wrong, and so the tempo oh, of the loops were yes. wrong. I was like, "What is going on?" Have you ever <laughs> so, seen that Van Halen video I on YouTube? Jump, yeah, yeah, and it's
2: it's <laughs> off
0: just enough, right? It's and, like the difference between probably forty-four one and forty-eight. But that's yeah, it. Was, that's disastrous yeah.
2: at an, in an arena. And, and Eddie yeah. Van Allen is trying to... He's right. like using his fine tuners on his Floyd Rose the whole tune. It's like it doesn't sound right. Yeah, and when, about he that. Gets, when he gets to the solo, man, it is... Oh, it's excruciatingly out of tune. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. Somebody got fired that night.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's, it's happened occasionally. Not as much as it used to. Like There are times when things just kind of died on stage... The good thing is, really, the John Scofield band. We don't really need any of this stuff. We can just play, and it sounds great, mm-hmm. you know. So, but it adds another dimension. Like it thickens up the beats, or it adds, you know, these wacky effects um, or other sounds that I can bring in. So it, it's helpful. But if I think all of our tunes if If this completely goes away, we can still play it, so mm-hmm. it's not it's not exactly like Van Halen or something where you're completely dependent right, on some, yeah. you know that keyboard part or something um and it it and also we're a band where it's it's not like hit songs that everyone knows if something is missing <laughs> <you know? Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's jazz you yeah. meant to do that. what about um you know one of my favorite tunes man is is uh, lucky for her. I love that tune. I don't know what it is. It's the last tune on the first Uber Jam record, I think. Yeah. And man, the the your rhythm guitar part when it breaks down and the bass line, it's it's simple, but yeah. Wow, that's that is a super fucking track.
0: Yeah, I think that was kind of a um, a sound check jam. You know, one of those tunes that just came out of. I think I had this sample at the time. I was using a Boss Doctor sample, one of those things with the eight pads on it. Which are fantastic devices in some ways. the, the, the built-in effects on it are fantastic, and you, just really easy to use and didn't make you nervous, like a computer can make you nervous. Yeah. and everything's right there. So it was real It's a dedicated hardware sample player. And so I had this sample, which I don't even know where I got it or where it came from. I didn't make it. I don't know. I, I found it, then I chopped it up and put it back in this. That's what happened. So it wasn't someone else's sample completely. I dealt with it in some way and changed it. But that was that was based off that sample that starts um, the tune originally. And then the rhythm guitar stuff, I think, if I remember, it's just me using a ring modulator where I'm moving the frequency. with. It, it's that electroharmonics frequency analyzer. And I put a bigger knob on it so I could move it with mm. my foot. That's basically, I'm twisting it around. I think that's the tune where I'm doing that. Mm, yeah, I love that track. Yeah, it's a cool track. It's, it's, and that's Go's Melody. I don't know where that came from. But...
2: It's a great cover, too, that Uber Jam cover. Yeah, it's funny, right? The first one where he's yeah. like the, the, what is it, the Hindu kind of yeah. god or whatever. And well, you've I, probably seen it if you've been hanging to It's hanging in his house, living room, yeah, in the large. kitchen, in the dining room. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I'd always go stare at it. And yeah. You know what? Tell me about um, Shitty Shitty Jam Band, which is the greatest title yeah. ever, I
0: think. <laughs> yeah, that's a band where the core of it is uh, Jesse Murphy, Aaron Johnston, who both play in the Brazilian Girls you mentioned, and me. Um, years ago, we had Sean Pelton playing too. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And this really great keyboard player, Brian Charette. So we used to play every Tuesday at New Blue. And uh, Jesse came up with that name. I, It was almost like, one of those situations where the name came first and the band after just because we wanted to have a band where we could call it that <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like that somebody had a name of a band called jfkfc which <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know they came up with that first they right had yeah to
0: have <laughs> so um and the interesting thing is some of the sco tunes that are on records now started off as shitty jam band jams where i came up with some <laughs> Groove. Not literally shitty, just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> well, some nights they we lived up to the name. Um, there's some videos of us playing um, and some recordings also. Yeah, so we were just playing at New Blue pretty often, and Jesse I knew from the John Schofield band, and Aaron I actually knew from the Bay Area. Aaron's a great drummer and one of the few guys who plays convincing Afrobeat. I love Afrobeat, and mm-hmm. the fella legacy stuff um and fellas drummer was kind of this singular character named tony allen mm-hmm. who's around i think he lives in england and plays a lot still but he basically to my knowledge invented this drumming style that came to me known as afrobeat and it's it's funky in a different way it's not backbeat oriented funk and it's, it's actually, he plays really light. It's really interesting to watch him. You can find videos. He's almost like a jazz drummer playing this weird funky beat. And it's got a slight swing to it. But to me, Aaron is one of the few guys who has the proper amount of swing and has incorporated a lot of the, the Afrobeat stuff. So some of the shitty jam tunes that later became sco tunes have this Afrobeat backing mm, like um interesting that tune yeah um yeah i've heard you guys do that that one um and then uh what there's a couple of others that that have an afrobeat groove anyway those were shitty jam band songs that we used to play um and then some of them go either put a different bridge on it or change the melody so, those tunes are collaborative, but usually the process for those collaborative tunes is it started off with me sending him these grooves or jams that I was already playing. And then he, he, he went through them and decided which ones he thought were cool and adapted them. And then we started doing it with Uber Dune. Yeah, but if you go online, you'll hear some of the tunes done the original way, um, like um, which on the SCO record I think is called Torero, but we used to call it High and Dry. Um, and there's a few other tunes, some which never made it on into the SCO repertoire. But yeah, there's there's uh, I think on my Bandcamp page there's a bunch of stuff, and then on, on YouTube too. Some of the YouTube stuff, I I tried to collect it all under one thing, and it's just called the Avi B3. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I've checked that out on YouTube, man. Yeah, and and listeners out there, whoever is listening. You know, I don't know if you've ever listened to this podcast, Avi, but sometimes I feel like I'm talking to myself because I don't really know how many people are listening. I've never tried to track it. Yeah. I didn't know
0: you did a podcast until I think we were hanging out, and you told me, or maybe I just stumbled it on my own. I, I. Maybe, Maybe I should remember. tell more people. I don't know. How yeah. kind of, but um, but the amazing thing to me is that you have time to do a podcast on top of all the other stuff you're doing. You're kind of a an inspiration, I think. For oh no, man, well work ethic. And I just get bored on the yeah. road. It
2: gives me something to do. You know, it's yeah. fun. I like to capture things and yeah work on it. But um, so man, you want to play play a little something?
0: Sure. Um,
2: Talk more about whatever else you want to talk about.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know. What, what should we play?
2: Just, man, anything you play, I'll, I'll join um, in and just kick something off.
0: Actually, I'll play a different guitar for this. Take time, man. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this tune, it's it's on, um, it's on the last Sko record. It's called the Al Green song. I don't know it, no. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty easy. It's um, But this is one of those tunes that was originally my tune that Chitty Jam Band would do and that Sco sort of, took my bridge, or the very beginning of my bridge, I guess, and then put a new bridge on it, which I think was a big improvement. But it's it sort of, st- the, the key shift at the bridge point is the same as what I had, but then he took it and made it musically better. <laughs> so, but it's, um, so the main part is just C sharp, mm-hmm. minor to E major. Okay. A major, to like E with a G sharp in the bass, and then F sharp minor, so it's... Starting on E minor, three times. Then yeah. back to the main group. Actually, we can just sit on that C. Sh- sit on the C sharp. tune yeah yeah that's the Very al nice green tune. song so you know it has yeah
2: that. i get that totally yeah. man <laughs> what do you um on your right hand playing funk stuff you how do you hold your pick is just, it's just um, thumb and, and index right or two now fingers? No, i use
0: it's uh i don't know where this came from but i hold it with three fingers when i play rhythm and then two fingers when i play single notes so it's it's a little bit of a shift at this point I don't really think about it but
2: yeah, we're exactly the opposite because sometimes I'll hold it with
0: yeah so yeah um, it's like that and it for me it works well I don't know I guess because the angle or something or maybe I can just grip the pick better and it doesn't fly out of my hands when I'm playing fast tempos but then I've never gotten comfortable playing like that Doing single notes, even though I think that might be the, uh, perhaps the George Benson way of picking. Right,
2: Let's that's backwards. I don't think that's great for rhythm playing, though. This way, no. Yeah,
0: for me it works. And you know what's funny is I see, like, a lot of singer songwriters who just strum, playing acoustic mm-hmm. guitar, playing in the same way. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what that says, but there's something about it that, maybe I don't know. Maybe but it's a for natural, me, it feels feels it's like right. Like a I mean, rhythm
2: match grip for a drummer, you know. It's the same yeah, thing. yeah. I don't if know. If I it. was gonna go, uh, uh, let's see. Let me think of something. You just kind of sure. improvise over it.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> and I lo- see, I I feel like I don't have that stuff in my vocabulary. Oh, I nice. love it. You definitely do. Just trying to find something.
2: That sounds great.
0: thing where um that's something Sco showed me that maybe other guitar players know about but i didn't
2: sounds Um, like a yeah like a keyboard thing
0: yeah um but it's it's really cool it's where you keep the top note constant Mm -hmm. and then you shift the others chromatically so like and usually it's the way you showed it to me it's a kind of a stacked fourth voicing Mm -hmm. so like It doesn't work for all. Well, I guess sort of does. I mean, it's kind of
2: like this thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, similar concept. So, like, if you're playing uh, in a, you know, like uh, if we're in G. you're you're keeping one note constant, you're and that's in the key, so you always leave that top note in in this. If we're playing Dorian, you know, nice. Um, that's, um, anyway, you get the idea that yeah, the top note idea. stays in the key. but then you can do almost whatever you want with the other notes, and because there's a consonant note. It's somehow okay. It holds it together. <laughs> like holds it try. together, yeah. exactly. It
2: it approves it yeah. for years.
0: So that was one of those cool chord voicing concepts that I picked up from Sko along the way. You know, everyone focuses on Sko's soloing, but equally amazing to me is his chording. I, mm-hmm. I just love his comping and, and his chord voicings and his Yeah, it's just really unique. Mm-hmm.
2: He is a very unique guitar player. Yeah. I know when I when he I had him on this podcast and he came over that day and when I was asking him about the you know all this Oh stuff, yeah, right. Yeah. All that stuff. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know, all the crazy. He said, yeah, it's like, you know, I was making it sound like an old singer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like no one does Nobody that. does that.
2: No, nobody does that.
0: I thought um, it came from just a mistake, like you know, his guitar wasn't set up right, or the, the string was too close to the edge, or it kept and happening, kept and then it. he just worked with it.
2: I mean, you know, it's funny that video you sent me of uh, SCO, like the, the VH1 video, for oh, yeah. if you can even fathom this. Not even M T V has music anymore. VH one used to show jazz video. John yeah, Schofield actually had a jazz video. Yeah. And he's like where was it in Chinatown or someplace? Yeah, near here near down around. on Canal Street. He's, he's walking around with and his it's guitar. an awesome
0: video because it's so eighties. He's got that the Miami blue, Vice thing. Yeah, Miami Vice jacket and um, it actually I don't in some ways it hasn't changed much except for people's fashions. But you know, there are people are selling cheap watches and all that stuff it's that area of canal but i don't know if you told me about this or if i saw it or heard it from someone else but that tune i think it's called protocol someone was asking you know what scale you play over this sort of chromatic somewhat atonal baseline and Sko said well you play the baseline i'm gonna solo and you tell me when i hit a wrong note <laughs> yeah it was on my podcast yeah yeah i'm that. just playing
2: this and that and <laughs> he's like it's just g i go yeah but it, there's oh he said it's just modal and i go but that's not modal
1: man yeah <laughs>
2: it's not modal
0: was oh, that on it your it podcast is. where i heard yeah. yeah that's so cool
2: yeah i got him to play over it and he's just yeah, great player
0: and someone else was asking me, not to talk about Sko over and over, but sure, that's right. Sure, man, you talk about it um, you want. Someone was asking me the other day if Sko's kind of a gearhead and into pedals and all that. I'm like, not really, you know. Uh, he He's not that wedded to stuff. And I feel like, especially when Uber Jam was really developing, he was getting new pedals. A lot of times, I feel like he didn't almost didn't know what they did, but he's such an amazing improviser that he steps on it and it does something and he responds to it in a cool way and figures out how to adapt to whatever that pedal is doing. Yeah. And he's so quick with it. And, and he, although at this point he's really developed something with that boomerang where he plays a line and then it seamlessly goes back and you hear that on the track Uber jam. Um, and on other tracks too. But I'm I'm amazed by it. He's really got that dialed in. Yeah.
2: Did I tell you about the... I know I told you this, because for those listening, I used to live next... down the street from Schofield in Katona, which is a kind of Westchester County, north of Manhattan. And right before I moved to the city... Schofield said, yeah, I'm cleaning out my studio and uh, I'm getting rid of a bunch of shit. I was mm-hmm. like, well, what do you have? Oh, it's nothing you want. But I got a, like a box of pedals, man. I'm going to get rid of all this shit. I said, yeah. well, he was, I was going to send him to Larry Goldings, you know, yeah, yeah. keyboard player. He goes, but, you know, you could come over and like get some stuff. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll split it half. I'll give you half and I'll give Larry Golding. I said, great, man. Mm-hmm. So like a month later, I we used to go to this diner and I said, um, hey, did you ever clean out your studio? Yeah, cleaned it out. And he goes... Man, I just sent all those pedals to Larry. You know, there's nothing you wanted, man. It's like old shit. You don't want any of that stuff. And I'm thinking, what, like vintage course, <laughs> chorus? Your, you know, old rap? I mean, who knows what was in the box? Like, yeah. <laughs> we're guitar players, man. We could have split it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not a keyboard player. Come on. Yeah. But anyway.
0: And also, you know, he shrunk his pedal board down to nothing for this last tour. Uh, where he, uh, So he's not super wetted to particular pieces of gear
2: yeah um i asked him if he had those old sundown amplifiers i think he yeah. i don't know if he still has them
0: yeah liberty ellman bought one of those Did he? Know, i was talking about this guitar player liberty yeah
2: i gotta check him out
0: yeah. and... found some guy in new jersey selling it or something or maybe the guy who made them lives in new jersey i forget but yeah well they're they're unique with that light up faceplate, so you always knew what amp it was. But Sco was the only one I knew who ever used those things.
2: Yeah. I mean, you see all those old videos, man. Those guys in the 80s are playing like, it's just a mishmash of amps at whatever jazz yeah. festival, whatever they had. It was like a Fender Twin and a Roland Jazz course with yeah. like whatever plugged into it. And they made a lot of music with that stuff and it sounded yeah. great.
0: It's funny how guitar technology goes through trends like you know rack systems or jc120s that people later on kind of laugh at and think what was i thinking but then i wonder how we'll look back on this boutique pedal trend where you know there's all these overdrives that are kind of the same with very minor differences and we're Mm -hmm. all obsessing about it or just the fact that we're using stringing together these huge pedal boards you know with all these cables that can short out and go wrong and (laughs) maybe in the future we'll be back to the rack or back to the Rockman, you know,
2: the Rockman amplifier. Yeah. I think we should stockpile up up Rockman's now, man. It's going to be like buying gold or something. (laughs) Maybe not. Well, um, do you want to talk about why don't you, you know, I didn't do this in the intro, but you, what is your degree? And you, you work like for an acoustic thing. Like you're really brilliant with all that stuff. There's a,
0: well, I don't know. brilliant you you, you
2: have attuned ears to like acoustic I'm sure you have better than average uh, knowledge of acoustic frequencies and yeah
0: I mean well first of all the technical term for what I do is either acoustical consultant or acoustical engineer and it has nothing to do with being a sound person so I don't mess with PAs Mm -hmm, right I don't mix bands I don't function as a studio engineer although I have done that a little bit in the past, but that's not related to the practice of acoustical consulting. Mostly what I do is look at architectural and mechanical drawings, mechanical drawings being the ventilation system of a building, and write reports and do some calculations here and there, and tell uh, architects and mechanical engineers and developers what they need to change in their building to have a good acoustic environment. And... Acoustic environments are important for apartment buildings, office buildings, laboratories, schools, so all kinds of things that have nothing to do with music. Occasionally, acoustical consulting does have to do with music, like if you're doing a recording studio or a radio station or something like that. But the actual work that you do sort of almost has nothing to do with music. Like playing an instrument is a totally different part of your brain that gets activated, and it's you know, it's physical and it's, it's um, you're really using your ear in a different way. Whereas with acoustics, you could almost be stone deaf and still do acoustical consulting as long as you know what to look for in drawings and how to do some right. calculations. Um, and then probably 10% of the time, I'm actually in a building with a sound level meter. And most of the time it has to do with either sound transmission between spaces. So, You know, how much do you hear your neighbor's TV, for example. Um, Or some sort of pump noise that's annoying people in a building. So it's a lot of noise control. And then also room acoustics, so how reverberant a room is. But you'll notice here, you know, I have my small home studio set up with these speakers and everything and I have zero yeah. acoustical treatment it's just a <laughs> but bare room. Does it ever room. drive you
2: crazy when you're on the road in a hotel and you, you hear an elevator shaft or oh, something? Oh yeah. yeah so
0: all these things they can really be annoying and um, so it's it's an important practice I think just for human comfort but again it, it really has very little to do with music although a lot of people in the acoustical world are also musicians. And part of it is just like you know, you play an instrument, and you get interested in sound in general, but either you're not good enough or you don't want to go into music full time, so you find another job that's kind of related to sound. And um, but yeah, that's my part time work. That I, I'm lucky at this point. I've been doing it for a long time, so I have a lot of flexibility. So I can go on tour. I can do yeah. gigs like today. I'm not obviously not at work. So um,
2: I hope you didn't take off work
0: just to do this. well kind of but that's okay because i got the flexibility and you know a lot of clients that i have have no idea that i have this other life as a musician sometimes they'll hear about it from someone else or they'll google me for some reason then they see that everything that comes up has nothing to do with acoustics and it's me on stage with a guitar or something Um, so but it's been good you know it can be pretty dry work and a little bit repetitive but on the other hand it's it's a it's a job and it's yeah. income.
2: And maybe it makes you appreciate the music part more actually. It
0: kinda does. And it also I feel like I haven't had to scramble as much as other musicians and take weddings and not the weddings are bad, but you know what I mean. It's sure. not most musicians set out to not do that kind of work and play some sort of original music or play in front of appreciative audiences. And so I don't have to take every gig that gets offered to me, um, which is nice. You know, I can be a little more choosy. Although it so happens that everything I do these days I really enjoy. So I, I, don't, um, I don't even seem to get offered things that I don't want to do. That's cool, man. Seems so like that's you're acoustic. Good... But I, I actually I studied that in graduate school, but I didn't study that in undergraduate. I studied Latin American Studies, which has nothing to do with anything I do now. Except for I learned how to speak Portuguese, and occasionally I speak Portuguese. Occasionally it'd be useful, yeah. Yeah, occasionally it's useful. But you know what? I, got, I heard your interview with Jude on Jude's, um, uh, Jude's podcast, <clears throat> No Guitar Is Safe, and uh, you were talking about am mm-hmm. I? And part of me has often wondered, man, what would it have been like if I had gone to music school? And I know I'd be a better player than I am now.
2: Damn. <laughs> Man, I think so, you're a great player. And yeah. for what it's worth, I don't know, maybe... I don't know what you consider... I, I, you're definitely not lacking anything, but I think originality is not taught in a place like that, That you know, because you're, you're influenced by a lot of people. Yeah, around, you, know, you know...
0: And maybe my personality wouldn't have been strong enough to find my own voice or keep my own voice in a music school. I, I feel like I... I've always been insecure, especially about jazz. Just guitar in general, I've been pretty insecure about whether I'm good enough. That's the reason I didn't go to music school. Actually, it's a funny story. Pat Metheny had a big influence on me. I I love Pat Metheny like most guitar players. and um, He was coming out just at the time when I was really getting into guitar. I was like 15 or something. Mm -hmm. And I went and heard him. I think it was 1979 or 1980. And I was so blown away. And at the time, I guess I was 16, and he was probably 24 or something like that. So he was young enough to still seem like...
2: Yeah, he was Kind of not in that your, far yeah. away
0: from me. But on a skill level... It was <laughs> It was just like... I saw no plausible path from, to get where he was, from where I was. And it just seemed like the gulf was so huge. Yeah. That I thought, <clears throat> you know, forget it. Like, if I can't be somehow on that level or at least comparable I'm, uh, I'm just not cut out for it I'm not going to go into music and so that was part of my college planning process it's like well I can't be like Pat Matheny, so I'll just study something else but then the weird thing is there's this video that came out of Pat Matheny playing with Gary Burton and I think Mick Goodrick is in the band and Pat Matheny's probably like 19 or something wow. really young and he sounds like he's 19. He, if I had heard that video, I probably would have made Everybody a different had a decision different career because trajectory. he just seemed like this <laughs> untouchable guitar god and I was a mere mortal. But he sounds <laughs> way more mortal in this video. Well, I think he still done sounds well good, but yourself, he sounds young and a little clunky and mm-hmm. it's just not the same fluidity. He hadn't
2: had put. He hadn't figured out how to put the toothbrush in his the back of his. Uh, you, you've seen that, right? He puts the toothbrush in the bridge. Oh, if yeah, you look no. at any old pap, oh, really? there's a toothbrush jammed in the bridge.
0: What to keep it from resonating? I guess. Or something? I
2: mean, there's numerous other objects you could have chosen, but it's a crusty toothbrush shoved in there.
0: Maybe he was just oral hygiene conscious, and I between know, songs would brush his teeth. Thing, you
2: know. You know, I. I um, I was talking to Mark Egan. He was on my podcast and he was in the original Matheny band. Yeah. yeah. I didn't tell him this. I didn't want to say it. But one day I was on a, I was somewhere and I heard Bruce Hornsby and I was like, wow, man, that's a, that's really cool. And the guitar solo came up and I was like, wow, man, that's a great guitar solo. What an interesting solo. And it, yeah. it was contemporary and sort uh-huh. of popish. I was like, who is that? It's really hip sounding guitarist. Yeah. You know, who is that? And I look at the credits and it's Pat Matheny. And I thought, doesn't sound like pat Matheny, the tone yeah. it's it's like he must have looked at his tone knob and went hmm wonder what this thing does and turned it up yeah <laughs> and played the solo and and then said well, i'll just turn it back down well, to zero I know. Know. it was one of
0: those things where he was in the same studio complex and showed up and was like oh can you play a solo i don't have my guitar but you know they gave him a guitar i wonder if it was i that. don't know but
2: it sounded great
0: you know there's another pat Matheny video um I think David Byrne used to have a music show or something. I think because David Byrne, is it the same? Didn't he
2: host um,
0: uh, stu- sessions? At, sessions at West Fifty Fourth, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. The Pat Metheny Group is on it, and they're doing this kind of real rock, almost new wave techno tune, and it sounds great. It's, and Pat Metheny's playing that Roland thing, but it's like set to a, kind of a surf guitar sound. Fantastic! It's it's cool to hear other guitar players. With a tone that's totally different from what you normally associate mm-hmm. with.
2: Well, is there anything else you want to talk about, man? You want to? Uh, gee,
0: I don't know. I mean, I'd talk, like to talk more about you. <laughs> no, this is about you.
2: This
0: is um, man, I, I don't know. We've covered a bunch of stuff.
2: I mean, I'm going to play some tracks from your record, yeah, yeah. Clean Slate. And yeah, And will right. talk about that in the intro.
0: Yeah, that that was kind of a homemade record in a way. It's it's very it's not even the stuff that kind of sounds like it's a band it's not really a band playing it was all pieced together sometimes the drums were the last thing to go on it was very homemade you know it took a lot of effort but but still it wasn't it wasn't like getting a bunch of piece, people together and showing them the tunes it was it was uh and i think on one song i had three different drummers play. It was kind of like Steely Dan, where you know they get <laughs> yeah. everyone, Peter Gabriel, corral all the studio people and have them do solos and decide which one's the best. Yeah. This was like, uh, but yeah, yeah. It's um, I think there's some cool stuff on that record. Maybe jam on this tune. It's it's just kind of a, I don't know, is it minor blues? I guess so. Um, it's do you know this guitar? Pl- can we play other people's music? Is that cool? Yeah, we yeah. Can play whatever. I mean, I think the guys. Long dead, and no one I don't know. Big, if it, I right? don't think I've enough
2: people listening to sue me. So,
0: <laughs> this guy, Ivan Boogaloo Joe Jones, you know, he was like a soul jazz guy. Um, but he has this song called uh Black Whip, and I think you'll pick it up. It's an E flat, and it's um, I guess it's a minor blues, but it has this cool riff. So, one, two, three.
2: I got it. Yeah. Next time I'll have it's it for sure. not
0: really the right guitar to play this on, but that whatever. sounds great, man. Yeah. All right,
2: Avi. Well, thank you, man, for uh, doing thanks, this. Shane.
0: It's a pleasure.
2: Yeah. I sound Let's go great. get some lunch. Let's do it. We're in Chinatown. It's probably good Chinese food. Yeah. Somebody told me anyway. Cool, man. Thanks. All right, guys, gals, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe. And, um, I've also got, many other episodes if you've heard this spiel before just you can stop now but um, yeah I've got a lot of other people on my past episodes got John Schofield who we talked about at length on this episode and got uh, Warren D. Martini and Mike Stern and John Leventhal and John Harrington for guitar players we've also got drummers bass players George Porter Jr. Johnny Vidakovich check them out See you next time.